Hello and welcome to the Reach Out for Mental Health podcast. I'm Stu Riffin. Beside me always, Kirsty Eaton. Good morning. Good morning. I don't know why I said good morning. I should have just said hello because... I know everyone knows that we're recording this at... Uh, it's 10 o'clock. It's not yeah. too bad. Yeah. You're, you're only allowed to listen to this in the morning. That's mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's the rules. Um, how have you been? Okay. No, I'm full of head cold. I want some sympathy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks. I feel the love. Uh, have you got COVID? No, no, no. I tested yesterday, not yet. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, well, look, this is a um, this is a, a, a really interesting guest because it's, it's a friend of mine. It's uh, well, it's my business partner, um, and. The nature of these podcasts, obviously, Reach Out for Mental Health is a, a suicide uh, prevention charity. And and when we were sort of talking about people that we've spoken to on here and people that we'd like to speak to that had, had experienced this, um, for some reason, I even though that the person that I'd probably spoken to it about the most, I chat to most days, it didn't dawn on me for a while that well, I could just speak to him. Mm. Um, but it we, we'll get on to that as the, the podcast unfolds, but it's still relatively fresh. So in in you know in, insofar as the, the sort of time of um of what happened. So obviously you're mindful that you you don't want to sort of speak to somebody immediately, you know, in the immediate after effects of what had happened. Um but um well, let's just let's just introduce today's guest, uh, Adam Richardson. Hello, 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 you two. How are you? All right, all right. Um, and so we we run Pop Bible, the magazine, together. And uh, and well, look, do you know what? We, we'll we'll get into have have a conversation come about and such. But we always start the podcast um, with a, a a straightforward question, which is: when you hear the words mental health, what do you think? Um, oh, that's definitely something that's changed over over the years. Uh, it used to be something that sort of scared me a little bit. I didn't think was relevant to me. I didn't think it was anything that I'd have to worry about. Um, it was like a big subject that I didn't necessarily want to get involved in. Um, I'd say this was up until like maybe my late twenties, early thirties. I'm now late thirties, um, and. I was about to say I light up when I hear it, but that's that's a bit of a weird thing to say. But nowadays, I'm I'm kind of into it. I I I I like to hear people who are open to discussing it or who are aware of it. Um, uh, and on a personal level, when I when I think about mental health, it's something that I think about every single day. Not just since um, I went through what I went through earlier in, in the year, but um, it's something that I keep really aware of. Um, to try and maintain good mental health for myself and to try and be aware of, uh, of, of the mental health of people around me. So it's something I do think about a lot. When did, when, at what point did that become something that you did consider more and why? Um, I think it was a, a mixture of things. One, it's sort of just becoming a lot more of a, a prevalent conversation just in society and, and and a lot more people people talking about it on things like podcasts or it just being in the news or um you know public figures discussing it or campaigns on social media that kind of thing 
but also my friends um specifically my friend who uh unfortunately we lost earlier on in this year uh, in march um he was always a massive advocate for it uh for talking about it um for therapy for counseling or for just checking in in general with with your friends and things like that he was really aware of his own mental health and really up for talking to other people about theirs and i just enjoyed those conversations i've always been somebody who's quite open and quite happy to be quite vulnerable but for a long time kept it in a little bit because it felt as if oh hold on i'm supposed to not not necessarily talk about some of this stuff because people will be like oh hold on a minute you're oversharing um but i know I, I now i now find it like a, a vital thing to be discussing regularly do you think um, do you think that comes down to sort of the you know generations and and the age that that, that you was do you think it was something that obviously i'm i'm 10 years older uh, and some than you and and it was never spoken about you know when when i was growing up and, and 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 you know, unfortunately, would if you would have, you would have been seen as being very vulnerable and probably open to ridicule. Yeah. Uh, and 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 so I think that was probably something that my generation just did not talk about stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. And was that the case for, for for you? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I mean, yeah, I'm thinking like my my parents, my dad's generation, definitely. I can't remember it ever being discussed. That's the thing. It really, yeah, it really wasn't a thing that was discussed in our household. And our household is very close. I'm very lucky, loving family. Um, and we would sit around the dinner table and talk about all sorts. And I guess indirectly, we might talk about mental health or how we were feeling and how we were doing. Um, but I think deep down, if I ever sort of said right to my, to my dad, for example, how how is your mental health? It may have been a bit more of a difficult conversation years ago. I don't think it would be now, though. I think even like even my parents are, are much more aware of how how important it is to discuss this stuff and um and again this, you know losing my friend in March they were incredible support and uh, didn't clam up when I tried to discuss things so I think even those older generations are, are more aware of how important it is to to discuss nowadays. Um, I mean. Before we, we, you know, you tell us a little bit about um, your friend and your relationship with him. Um, what was your experience and knowledge of suicide before this happened? Um, no, no experience of it. Uh, I don't think something that, you know, you hear like a, a friend of a friend might say that they'd lost somebody or and 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 i'd wince and think oh my god that's you know that sounds awful and i hope i never have to experience that um never thought i would never never even with my 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 mate i'd never ever thought it would get to to what it got to um never really did any reading about it didn't really listen to, you know i listened to some podcasts like i used to listen i listened to griefcast with Carrie ad lloyd which obviously talks about all kinds of different types of grief um and different types of loss and occasionally there'd be a somebody who'd lost somebody through suicide and i'd i'd find those much more difficult to listen to than the ones where it was like a natural loss of a of a parent or something like that so yeah i think it is something that i've i found quite difficult to engage in because there is a stigma around it 
Um, and yeah, it's, it's hard enough to talk about death as it is. And a lot of people don't really do that. And then, and then that's sort of like even more intense in a way. Yeah. Can I ask? Um, so you say that there's a stigma around it. What? And I'm just being really kind of finicky about this. Yeah. You mean that there's a stigma around dying by suicide or having somebody talking about the fact that they're having suicidal thoughts? Or both? Um, yeah, maybe both. Maybe both. And um, I don't know. I think I think. I don't necessarily, I don't, uh, I don't have these opinions, but I know that, um, uh, you know, years ago, suicide was looked at as, um, uh, I don't know, like maybe a, a failure or, you know, massive weakness if it gets to that stage where you have to take your own life. Um, obviously the whole committing suicide, the fact that it used to be a crime and that kind of thing, it was just like, you know, that there was that stigma there. And then in terms of, so, so yeah, so I guess that sort of made people a bit more reluctant to to touch on those kind of subjects and, and discuss it. And in terms of the suicidal thoughts, unfortunately I've learned like with my friend, we were best friends and we discussed everything and we had massive long chats about our own mental health and about coping strategies and about what his triggers used to be and all that kind of stuff even even he didn't really tell me about having suicidal thoughts i've learned since that he he was having them quite regularly and i didn't know i didn't know that i didn't think it ever got that bad so i don't know perhaps perhaps he was just afraid you know the fact that he couldn't even talk to me about it um maybe he felt like there was some sort of stigma or maybe he felt like he he couldn't even go that far with his with his oldest and best friend i don't know because you said that you've had, you know, you always had quite an open and honest <clears throat> um, discussions about mental health and uh, his own struggles with mental health. Yeah. Um. So how far would those conversations go? I mean, if, obviously, whatever mm -hmm. you're comfortable with, with sharing. Um. How was 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 he just open with you, or was it, you know, you could all be down the pub with the rest of the lads, and they could all talk about it quite openly, or was it just you he felt safe with to do that? I think um, he, so we became friends when we were 12, 12 or 13 at school. And there's a big group of us who are still mates um, from school and college and things like that. In that group, I think it was maybe only me. And I think some of the other guys find it a little bit more difficult to to talk about those kind of things for whatever reason. Um, some of them would like to be able to, but they just feel they just can't. They just clam up when it happens. Um, others just, you know, brush it off or whatever. But he had a, a, a load of really lo lovely and good friends that he got more recently through work or just through socializing, you know, in his, in his twenties and thirties, who he, who he did talk about this stuff with and who I got to know and have become really close with. And then since I've got even closer with, and we really drilled down into all this stuff. So as far as I was aware, he was really open and discussing all this stuff with these people regularly and we were checking in with him and we knew when he was having particularly bad periods because he would tell us he'd put it in our whatsapp groups or uh when when we saw him he he'd tell us what was going on um so yeah i feel like he did have he did have that support network um yeah uh, tell us tell us a little bit about him if you don't mind <clears throat> sure yeah so um 
yeah we became friends at secondary school when he moved moved to the area his name was tom he uh we used to play football every you know before school break time lunch time after school um we were a dynamic duo on the pitch i used to whip whip it in and he'd score all the goals um he was a bit of a dream boat annoyingly because i was a late developer and could had a high voice and couldn't get the girls and he had perfect curtains uh for his hair and his hair would never be out of place and uh, all the girls loved him um but we just became a proper tight duo even though we had this group of mates it it was always me and him like whenever we'd go anywhere we'd be the one you know you have sleepovers we'd be the ones who'd like share a bed or be sleeping in the same room whenever there was anything any activities where there people had to pair off it was always me and him um we'd go around to each other's houses all the time obviously when we started having parties when you're like 14 15 16 and getting a four four pack of stellas at your mate's house and trying cigarettes for the first time and all this kind of stuff it was it was always me and him um we went separate ways to you for uni uh, but kept in touch. And then after uni, we both wanted to move to London to try and get into the TV industry uh, to like do editing and things like that. So we both got job uh, a job as runners in different post-production companies in Soho. And we got our first ever flat together in, uh, in South Norwood. Um, and it was just amazing. Just uh, we were doing shift work, but we'd leave little notes to each other and uh, cook each other meals and, play computer games all the time and go out and get drunk and but yeah we we were just really really close like it was always a really fun silly relationship where we'd just be really silly and stupid with each other but um we we'd talk about everything and he he was the mate that made me feel most comfortable being fully myself in the sense of I do want to be vulnerable and I do want to talk about stuff that some blokes might not want to necessarily talk about or feel afraid to talk about. And then as the years went on, we lived together for a bit longer Then we had some other people move in with us. And then we had our partners and we ended up moving out with them. Um, but we, you know, we'd see each other all the time and discuss everything. I was his best man at his wedding. Uh, my brother was my best man, which is a bit awkward, but I had to pick my brother. Um, but um which was 10 years ago this year, his, his, his wedding anniversary. Um, but as we went our separate ways and we started to have kids and develop our careers and stuff, he was like my biggest support. He was like my, he's almost like my biggest champion and my biggest fan. Like if I, when I'd started doing pod Bible, I'd get a message from him saying, I've just read the latest issue. It's great. And I'm really impressed with it. Or I really love the design work you've been doing. Or how have you thought about this? Cause he got into graphic design as well. None of my other mates really give us, it feels like that they, they really care about stuff I do. And like, we'll talk about it down the pub, but Tom would message me saying, I listened to that latest episode of your podcast that you did. I started a wrestling podcast six years ago, which is coming to an end now. None of my other mates are really into that. It was something uh, with my friends from from work. He thinks it's a joke. He he thought it was a, you know wrestling stupid, but he listened. He listened every week, and he'd message me and say, "Oh, I'm learning about this, and oh, I think your presenting's really coming along." And he was a massive support. Um, That's really yeah. in impressive, isn't it? To have somebody that you know isn't into something. That, that you are, but makes that effort to 
to yeah. set time aside to 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 listen to what you're doing. That's 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 special. That is. It is. Yeah. You'd expect that from your wife or something, but from from your bestie, that is. That's. I know. Isn't it? Yeah, my wife listened as well for the first few episodes and, and would say the same thing. But I think he outlasted her. Uh, he did stop <laughs> listening eventually. But um, that's been like the huge, the huge realization. Every time it hits, how big a loss it is. It's sort of that. It's like wow. Like he was really. I'm lucky to have a few like best friends, but he he was the best like friend. Like he was a true friend. If you look to look up the definition. Uh, looking out for me, supporting me, championing me, making me feel good, making me laugh, um, and looking out for me. And so it's it's just a yeah, huge, huge sort of void that comes up regularly that I think about regularly when I think, ah, he might have messaged me about this, or I'd, I want to tell him about this. I'm proud of something, and I'd want to share it with him because he'd be happy and excited. What what were some of the sort of signs that you would pick up on if he wasn't in a great place um well it's 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 a difficult one because for the last sort of 10 years no maybe the last sort of seven or eight years or something we've been really apart um and because i we lived in london together and i moved away from london so we really weren't seeing each other that much but we were keeping in touch on WhatsApp uh, groups and, and DMs and stuff every day. Um, so a lot of it was absence. Like if if we'd go a few days and he didn't say anything in the group or if I sent him a message and it went unread for a day, that would be a red flag. I'm sure people who were closer to him and who were seeing him and who lived near him would would be able to spot a lot more. And then as well as that, a lot of the time it would just be him saying he, he, he was, he was so open and he'd be like, I'm having a shocker or I'm really not feeling things because of this, or I've got no motivation and I don't know why, or that kind of thing. He had like a bit of a, like a big crisis about a decade ago. Before that, I think he used to occasionally feel a bit down and that kind of thing, but he had a real big mental health crisis about a decade ago, which meant he then had to get onto medication and that he had to properly start therapy. And, uh, and then he became really open about it and then he'd have his ups and downs and things like that. But um, yeah, I don't, it, it, it was weird. The fact that I just wasn't really there physically with him, especially after COVID um, and during COVID, obviously, so a lot of it was just going off WhatsApp groups and things like that, which I imagine a lot of people and a lot of big like groups of blokes specifically, you know, a lot of people that that's how they're communicating a lot, especially since COVID these days, a lot of people aren't going to the pub as much um, or me and their mates as much. And uh, if somebody is usually very active in a WhatsApp group suddenly isn't, um, then that can be a little bit of a, a little bit of a flag, I guess. I think that's a, a a really good thing for for, for listeners of, of the podcast that you know you don't necessarily have to sit in a room with someone and, and and have a chat. And if you're you know worried that somebody might not be feeling great, something as simple as a WhatsApp message, you know, can be so important. Just mm. just, just drop them a message, you know, or, or 
on a WhatsApp or on social media, just just check in. It's it's you know it's a very small gesture that can probably have you know a giant a giant reaction at the right time. Um, Chris, is there anything you wanna you wanna ask Adam? Um, no, not well. But it, to be honest, I'm I'm I'll be blatantly I'm really struggling to hold it together hearing your story. If I'm blatantly honest, this is. I really appreciate you being so candid about this, um, considering just how soon it's all happened. Thank you. Yeah, um, I did. A, I did a couple of. So hold on, where are we? It's March. Uh, how many months has it been now? What's March to November? I can't work that out off the top of my head. I um eight months. Eight months. So the first, the first sort of obviously the first few weeks and the I, I was sort of and well we can go into this you know what actually where I, how involved I was um on the day and things like that when I was quite heavily involved but obviously the first few weeks were hell and I knew that it was you know I couldn't really engage in anything and then the couple of months after that um it was bad but after about three months I thought I'm kind of getting to grips with this and I'm kind of okay no, okay, but I thought I saw I felt like I was getting back to normal. And I did a couple of podcasts. I did one about work and I did one about uh God, I can't remember what it was, another one. And actually when I look back at those now, I think okay, I shouldn't have done those. I wasn't actually ready. <laughs> I wasn't ready to be talking about that kind of stuff then. Um and what couple I don't think either of them have come out yet. And I don't know if it's because they've listened back and gone, Oh my god, we can't share this. But um it, it was then about two months later. So after about five months or maybe six months when I was like, oh no, now I genuinely do feel much, much better and back on, kind of back on track. And the key thing for me was when I started feeling excited about stuff again and like optimistic about stuff again, because for months and months, I I didn't realize this, but my wife was just like, you're not you because you get, enthusiastic and excited about stupid little stuff and you're not being enthusiastic about anything um and even though i'm still finding you know and even Stu will know working with me finding it easy to be down on stuff and a little setback work-wise and it's like oh this feels like the end of the world i'm also getting the all the excitement and the positivity and the optimism back and I feel in a much, much better place. So when Stu suggested this conversation, I thought, I think this is fine. I think I'll, I'll be fine. I remember, um, you know, a few, a few months after it happened, sort of talking to you and uh, and you saying, like, I'm just not really fussed about it. It was like yeah. nothing Nothing was... I don't care. Did, did, didn't care, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's... Well, I'm imagining, Kurt. I mean, Kurt, you obviously, you know, you're very much an, an expert on this. That that must be completely normal to just, you know, everything else just has no importance anymore. You know, like does everything just become mm. superficial? And what's the point of that? Yeah, kind of. I mean, with my own, and again, I'm very aware that I'm on a hair trigger, so please beware. Um, you know, with my own um bereavement by suicide I just went a hundred percent in the opposite direction I was so fucking angry um not at, not at Steve um just at the system that I'd worked in for so long and that I'd you know 
tried my best thinking that I could change or make a difference you know on a on a systemic level and you know maybe you do maybe you don't um and like it's really interesting I, I was never sure just how soon after Steve's suicide that I started thinking about reach out I I, I knew that it was very very soon but I didn't realize just how quickly it was and I came across a bunch of emails um a couple of weeks ago and so Steve's death was in the March and in the May, I was talking to my local CVS about this is what I want to do. This is what needs to happen. Wow. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of people, a lot of families that are bereaved by suicide, um, you know, that that is the, the way that they channel their grief. And that's the way that they can make any kind of sense out of it, because for a lot of people, um, a lot of people are left not knowing why. There's no explanation. There's no lead up. There's no no clue at all. Um, and even for those, you know, who have openly fought and struggled and tried to get help and it hasn't worked or have made attempts in the past and have survived and, you know, still doesn't make it any easier on the family. Um, mm. Adam, would you mind telling us that, obviously, without going into too much detail and whatever you're comfortable with, can you tell us a bit about the, the day and kind mm. of lead up to it? and kind of Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I spoke to his wife a couple of days ago uh, and I was just because I was like, oh, is this a good idea? Um, this, like the Rook doing, having this chat. And I text her and I just said, I've, I've been invited to come on this uh, mental health podcast and I just want to check it's cool. Like if you're happy for me to talk about Tom and what sort of what happened, if, if you're uncomfortable at all, then I just won't do it. And she was just like, no, do it. Tom, Tom would have done it and Tom would have enjoyed it. And as you know, I'm pretty open is what she said. She's really open and she's having massive, like she'll just chat to anybody about all of it. So yeah, I am. Kind of, I did struggle a bit with it. It's like, is it, am I, is this, I don't know, what am I doing? Why am I sitting and recording these chats? But then it's because hopefully people will listen and get something from it and it will help people. And it's helping me to talk about it. And I'm sure it will be helping you guys. Um, so yeah, so I hadn't seen Tom for quite a while um, because for you know for various reasons covid him living in london um and just i just got useless at sort of arranging plans since covid with with pals but we speak we were speaking every single day on whatsapp um he had had quite a bad uh period where a lot of real life stuff was it was really influencing his um how, how he was feeling so they just moved house they just had a second baby um, after having their first child who was sort of seven. So they'd have quite a long gap and they decided to have another baby. They just had COVID, all of the family in the house. So you just had COVID. The Ukraine war had literally just started and he was somebody who took on every big bad news story. He took on his shoulders um, and really struggled with all that kind of stuff. He was, he was, I think, I believe he was having some conversations with his um, counsellor and his doctor about his medication and maybe upping his um, uh, doses of, of whatever it was he was taking. Um, and I was aware of quite a lot of this stuff. And we were, there's one particular WhatsApp group with four of us, um, two of his London mates who I'm quite close to as well, where we would really always be checking in on him especially when he had COVID, especially when the baby was born and he wasn't getting sleep, which I knew was a big sort of trigger for him. And it is for me as well. If I go for a few days without good sleep, then it's very easy to 
start feeling really edgy and not right. Um, so I, I text him the day before and, uh, I, every so often, if he wasn't quite right in the group, then I'd text him privately, I text him the day before and said, how are you getting on? It sounds like the sleep training's going really hard for his, for his little baby daughter. And he said, yeah, I'm really struggling in the minute. Um, I then made a joke <laughs> about um, about his podcast because he did a football podcast. Uh, anyway, I made a bit of a joke, which is what I do, um, and he sort of didn't reply to it. And I was like, and obviously, as you can imagine, in the months preceding, I've read that and I've been like, "Why the fuck did you make that joke?" But anyway, that's all stupid. Um, he was like, "Yeah, it's really tough at the minute," and I thought, "I'll call him tomorrow." Um, the next day I was, I was taking my daughter to nursery. It was eight o'clock in the morning and I got a phone call from his wife to say, you know, and I saw her name and I thought, well, she never calls me and she never calls me at 8am. And she just said, Tom's missing. Um, could, you know, have you heard from him? I've, we've woken up and he's not here. Um, so we're thinking maybe he, and the car's not here. Maybe he's gone to visit you like to come down south he's been struggling maybe he wants to be down near where he grew up or see his old friends so i said no i haven't heard from him and i just dropped off my daughter and said to my wife i'm going to london and luckily with pod bible um pretty flexy and obviously pip and stew and uh, you know would just like do whatever you need to do and i drove up to london and i was there with his wife and we didn't know what was happening and she started to tell me how bad the last couple of days had been. And she told me how he'd mentioned having suicidal thoughts and even a couple of the things that he'd considered doing, um, which I won't mention. And she said, maybe he's here, maybe he's there. Maybe he's gone up to Ali Pali, which is near kind of near where they live. Maybe he's gone to this place. So I went out and I went out with one of the other guys who's in this group who did his podcast with him. Um, and we just went looking for him, but it was weird. Cause it was, you know, we were like joking around uh, saying, well, this is weird. It's worrying, but you just think you're going to find him or he's going to call, or he's, he's obviously had a bad day. We know he's been having a bad day and a bad week and a bad month. He's gone. He's just gone to get some fresh air or he's gone out to do whatever. As the day went on, it got close to th to three o'clock. We thought, well, his son's finishing school at three. We'll hear we'll hear from him. He'll be back by then. He won't want to worry his son. Uh, and um, as the day went on, it got more serious, and we, you know, we were calling him, and his and his uh, there his phone wasn't wasn't answering at all. And then there was a period where it did ring. Uh, I wasn't ringing much. Everybody was ringing, and I was thinking, I don't want to stress him out. If he's getting loads of calls, I don't want to stress him out. So I just text him. Uh, yeah, anyway, so um, so then so then nothing, we weren't hearing anything. Uh his wife was in touch with the police, and the police said, um they've they've tracked his car. They found the car because with his car insurance, he'd had a little tracker put in it, um, which is what some car insurance companies do now. So, and they tracked it down to the south coast and we we're like okay cool well that's where we come from um that's that's where we grew up so he's just gone down there and then they said it's uh in eastbourne uh and i 
I didn't connect what that meant um, initially. And then we were just waiting for more news on that. I went out to the shop to get some formula for, for his, for, for the baby whilst his mum went to pick up his son and then to send his son off to uh, mates just to play. So he wasn't involved in everything. And as we got back, as she got back and I opened the door to her coming in the house, uh, uh, some two police officers arrived and, um, and took their helmets off, which is obviously what you see in the films and all that kind of stuff and came in and we were just, I was just shaking. Um, yeah, anyway, so we sat, we, they told us to sit down and we started uh, obviously worrying, uh, panicking a little bit. I was holding his baby and they told us what happened um, and that, you know, a, a body had been found and they didn't tell us anything else. And then they went. Uh, sorry, when I started talking about it, I thought I'd skirt around it a bit more and I've gone into quite a lot of detail in a way there. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's difficult to listen to. But um, it was, everything just leaves your brain and uh, and all uh, I kind of went into... I didn't. I didn't get upset. I sort of just went into pro protective mode of his wife and his daughter and his and his baby, and trying to get as much info out of the police as I could. Um, and then who was you there at with like just his wife and baby? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Man, that's that's a wow. Uh, but I'm so happy I was there. Uh. You know, imagine if I'd had a job where I'd, I I was on the train up to London. I was, you know, I was a job where I was sat or I couldn't have got to London and she'd been there by herself holding the baby. Yeah. So I'm so happy I was there. And then it was just a case of just doing whatever I could and whatever was needed. And we called one of her friends to get one of her close friends to make to get her to come over to be there for her. And I was calling his, speaking to his family uh, and later on in the day speaking to all our friends and letting them know what had happened. But, um, and then it was just like, I drove home really late that night and the Brit at the, uh, Dartford crossing, the bridge was closed. There was a crash and I was stuck on that bridge for about th two and a half hours, but I didn't give a shit. Like usually you get so pissed off about that stuff. I didn't, I just didn't care. I was just sat in the car and I was speaking to my mum and my sister and I called my brother who lives in Australia. And again, just wanting to sort of like, I'm phoning people with this awful news, but I just want to talk and I want to tell them what's happening and I want to hear the people that I love. Um, and got back really late, hugged my wife, obviously, you know, for ages because she lived with us. She was mates with him. She, she, We were all flatmates together. She was really close to him too. Um, went to bed late, passed out, surprisingly just passed out because I was so exhausted. And then as soon as I woke up, got in the car, drove back up. And I did that for the next three or four days, was just there every day. It just felt I just needed to be there for the kids and for her. And then the next, yeah. And then, you know, parent, family coming to visit, uh, funerals to arrange, all kinds of stuff. And I was just like, this is all that matters to me now. I'm going to be here all the time. Uh, and it was intense. It was it was intense. But uh, 
I'm pleased I was able to be there. Like I look back and I've had some CBT uh, since, and I've, I've just, I think if I hadn't have been able to be there, that would have, that would have killed me because I've just would have felt dreadful that I wasn't there for him. And then if I hadn't been there for them as well, then, but so that, that does make me feel sort of better that I just, I never knew how I'd react in this kind of thing. I, I've been worried. I'm so lucky I haven't had to deal with any grief as part from, you know, grandparents and the, the sort of stuff that happens in life. And I've been worried about how I'd cope with it, about when I really, when I lose somebody that I really love and you get that sort of fight or flight reaction. And my reaction was just to run at it and just do what I could and to just be there. And uh, and I do, that has sort of helped to know that I did do all I could and, I, I'm, gonna, and I'm gonna keep doing all I can. Got um sort of questions for the uh, for for advice that you'd give for people in, in in different situations, but just touching on on you really, Ed, and like what advice would you give to anybody that's recently or struggling to come to terms with somebody that's that that, that, that somebody that's lost someone in, in 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 sort of suicidal circumstances like yourself. Oh, uh, talk about it. Just talk about it. Um, if you, I, I just talked about it to everyone and anyone. And actually look, look, looking back, there was some conversation, like I went to play football two weeks after and I arrived and I just told everyone. And actually that was probably quite intense for some of those guys who just turned up to play football who don't necessarily know me that well. But I just sharing was really helpful. But speaking to all of my friends, I was constantly on the phone because I was driving up to London and back every day. And those it was taking like an hour and a half drive each way. I was on the phone for all of those um, journeys because otherwise I was just sat there upset. Um, and so talking to my friends, talking to my family, my mum and dad came down to visit and we just sat and chatted and I just found that to be the best thing it's just talking 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 obviously some people might feel that they don't have that support network i guess or that maybe their friends don't wouldn't want to hear from them or that they feel a bit uncomfortable discussing stuff with their friends for, for whatever reason but hopefully you've got family who you can talk to um but if not i did yeah i i through my wife's work i was lucky enough to be able to arrange some therapy sessions and I didn't think I necessarily, I didn't feel like I was in a scary place where I needed to have help like that. But I quickly realized it wasn't a, oh, I'm, I'm ill, so I need help or I'm struggling, so I need help. It's just, it's more of a preventative thing. Um, I knew I'd been through a massive trauma. And even though I felt like I was coping okay, considering who knows how that might affect me down the line. So having those conversations with a professional who mostly was telling me all these things you're feeling are right and normal and to be expected um, really, really, really helped as well. So yeah, talk, just, just talking about it. I don't, I don't know. I, you don't, I, I rarely hear people who are like, God, I just talked about everything that's worrying me uh, and I feel worse, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, um, you know, some of the questions that we ask on this podcast is, um, you know, if you're if you're listening to this podcast now and you're struggling yourself, 
Mm. What advice do you have for them? And equally so, if you're, um, you know, a spouse or a friend or a loved one of someone that you're concerned about, what would your be? What would your advice be for them? And it is. It's all. It's it's talk. It's isn't it? It's it's not. Yeah. Um, it's not. It's not. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> it's, it's incredibly difficult, but it's just well, taking that chance and reaching out. That's what I've, I've discovered with some of my other friends, because I, as I said, I've always been open and I've always been up for chatting about stuff, whatever it is. And especially, you know, I talk about how I'm feeling and how things make me feel. And, um, and I've always done that. And I always did that with Tom. Whereas I've got a couple of other best mates, um, old friends, even from primary school who I kind of, I don't know. I thought that they would be, they, they were a bit like that as well. And then since this, I've, you know, there's been so many different reactions. And, you know, one of one of the guys I was speaking to for weeks after, and they're like, I still haven't cried. I still have, I cannot connect with it. And I'm scared to, and I keep, I keep putting it away. And then, and then that was a case of a couple of us other people being like, we're a bit worried about so-and-so because he's not processing this. He's going to work. He's working long hours. Then he's stay, he's, he's watching this and he's like, no, I can't, I just can't. And he has to, at some point he has to. Um, and then other friends, yeah, who just try to talk about it and then they just cry, they just cry. And I had times like that as well, but yeah, it was just, it, it, I don't know why it surprised me, but it did surprise me all the differing levels of reaction that we were getting. Uh, and even to this day, I'm really keeping in touch loads with the family and making sure I'm making plans with the kids for Christmas and making sure I'm seeing if there are any jobs that need to be done around the house and stuff like that and trying to make sure I visit. And some of the other guys aren't doing that. And I did for a while resent that. And I was like, pull your fucking finger out. We need to be there for them. But then I know that the couple who aren't really doing that, it's not because they're like, ah, they're cool, they're fine. It's um, you know, they're they've got enough other friends. They just don't know how to do it, or they're scared of reaching out, or they're scared of they're like, and I've spoken to some of them, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say in the message. And I don't want to call and I don't just want to turn up and I'm scared at what it will be like when I get to the house and how I'll feel. And I've sort of, yeah, come to terms with that a lot more that, that they're, they're, people... they're all perfectly normal yeah. feelings to have aren't they in them scenarios yeah. like and it's just you know different people cope with things in a different way don't they and you, you know yeah, you, yeah. You, you've chosen a really you know positive and helpful and loving way to deal with that and and, and face it sort of head on really and but I think you know we've all been in situations we've you know, I can I can vividly remember like when, when my nan died, like not wanting to go to see my granddad because I wouldn't have anything to say. And I remember just yeah. sort of going to see him. And I think I've got to sit in that room with him, and he's broken. And and it was like, oh god, I don't I don't want to go there. I was a very young lad then. Yeah, uh, I, I'm sure it's so different now. But but it is, isn't it? And 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 so many <clears> people it could because it is an uncomfortable situation to to put yourself in isn't it and yeah i think lots of people maybe choose to think oh, i want to but i don't know if i can and yeah and i don't think there's anything wrong with that i i think it is just how people cope isn't it 
It's so strange. Is that this is? I'm not going to lie. This is a completely new ground to me. It's something, yeah, that I've never. You hear about it, like you say, you know, with the elderly. Um, you know, somebody dies, and you get all of that immediate attention and um, mm. activity going on with the planning of the funeral, and you know, everybody's rallying around to get stuff done, and then the funeral happens. And then everyone buggers off. Yeah. And nobody calls, nobody keeps in contact. And that's when kind of the shit hits the fan and shit gets real that that person's left on their own. So that's kind of, that's bad enough. Like as a society, we deal with death in a really unhealthy way. But I suppose going full circle to talking about the stigma of suicide. And I were talking about the stigma of having suicidal thoughts or the stigma of dying by suicide. So um, you know, Tom's parents, Tom's wife, I'm wondering, uh, this is a kind of rhetorical, but I'm wondering if they <clears throat> found it difficult to be open and honest with their friends and their family and to say, Tom died by suicide, um, mm. rather than just leaving it as, oh, you know, you know, our, our son died at the weekend, you know, and kind of leaving it hanging like that. Mm. Um, but it is, it's, it's such a bizarre conversation. It's not, yeah, I suppose because I've just been... Um, flooded with this kind of thing for so long now it is just second nature to me and I think yeah I've under underestimated how difficult it is for some people to have these conversations um and I suppose my reaction to that is get over yourself it might yeah. be uncomfortable but just for Christ's sake reach out even if it's just for half an hour and even if you do just go there and say I don't know what to say. I'm really worried I'm going to say the wrong thing. I've, this is really uncomfortable, but I'm here for you and I love you. But, you know, ooh, don't know what to say. Um, yeah. That's better than just, you know, keeping out of the way completely, surely. Definitely. I actually found out that one of the guys who hadn't been up to visit and I know has found it really difficult to, like, I don't know what to do, don't know what to say. When I went up there last week, I was speaking to his wife and she said, oh, um, another Tom we've got quite a few Toms in our in our in our group of mates um the other Tom's coming up on Friday to do a load of DIY for me during the day and I was like oh is he oh that's amazing and apparently he just texted and was like oh I'm doing loads of DIY at the house and I figured you've probably got loads of little jobs that you need doing and he's gone up there so he's he's like being practical and useful and I'm sure and I spoke to him after I texted him was like how was it you know how did you find it and he was like, it just felt great to be able to be there and see how they're doing and, but also to be helpful and useful. Mm. Um, but it took him eight months to be able to get to that stage. Um, and then the, the, another friend of mine has invited them all over for Christmas and has gone to taking them out for day. There's just so many differing, differing reactions, but I have had that. I've been like to my wife, this guy, I don't, he just needs to do something. Because now the longer you leave it, the easier it is to leave it just longer. It. Yeah. Mm. Or just be like, well, that's that, that's that now. We'll carry on with our life and they'll carry on with their lives. Um, but I've been tempted to text him a few times and be like, why haven't you gone yet? Why haven't you? And actually, I know it'll be much better to wait until I see him next and have a conversation with him and see how he's doing. Because he might be dealing with things that I don't know about or struggling to process it or whatever it is. And I'll be able to sort of say in a nicer way, you know, I think it would be great if you went up or do you want to go up together? Mm -hmm. I've been there loads um, and it can be a bit awkward, you know, maybe when it's just you and her. Um, but yeah, yeah, I do sort of agree with that. You've got to try and pull your finger out, but 
Yeah. And I, I can't thank you enough for being as vulnerable and as open as you've just been uh, for, for the last 50 minutes. And, and obviously, you know, being around you around the time that this was happening, I know how, and obviously you've made it, you've just explained just how, you know, awful and, 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 and how much, you know, it had, had such a, a, a huge impact on so many people. Um, so thank you for, for coming on here and doing this. I know it, it, it wasn't easy for you, mate. Um, thank you. But if you was to sort of say anything to, to people that um, are, are currently um, having concerns about somebody, you know, a friend, a loved one, um, a family member, uh, what would your message be to them? Reach out. <laughs> I know that's really on brand for the podcast <laughs> that I'm on. Uh, but reach out. And it, and, I, and it doesn't have to be, hey, mate, how are you? I've noticed you've been down or I'm worried about you. Or just reach out about anything and start the conversation is is kind of what I'd say. Like start start a conversation about whatever if it's talking about some personal news or asking about them or their kids or or their whatever just start a conversation because i imagine you'll quickly get to grips or get an idea of where they're at with with how they respond when they respond um and then that can lead to arranging something meeting up you know playing a computer game online with them or whatever it may be there's all kinds of different ways to interact with people these days jumping on a zoom call FaceTime and then when you're out and about there's so many different ways it doesn't have to be uh, uh, a phone call or a physical meet whatever just whatever you're comfortable with just reach out and don't think I'll I'll do that oh, oh yeah, yeah 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 that's good advice I'll do that tomorrow or I'll do that next yeah, week or... do it now do it now just do it now exactly somebody if anyone's listening to this and they're thinking oh yeah so and so Right now, in the next five minutes, pick yeah. up your phone. I'm shit. I'm I'm massively inarticulate, especially emotionally. Love a gif. Don't know what to say. <laughs> send a gift. Perfect. Yeah. Just send a gif. Don't go on Facebook. Message that friend. Absolutely. Agreed. And if and if anyone's felt um, you know, that, that that anything they've heard today is as you know, they can they've connected with or they've they've found themselves in, you know, could relate to 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 some of the things that Adam's told us about Tom, then you can reach out to, uh, to, to reach out for mental health. Um, uh, just, just head over to the Facebook or the website. Um, alternatively, if you're struggling and you need help, you can speak to friends, you can speak to your GP, obviously. Um, and then there's the Samaritans, there's mind, there's calm, just Google like suicidal feelings and, and, and or, or Google yeah, depression. Um, and there's no shortage of people that are there that want to help you. Just one extra link for those that are bereaved by suicide. There is an amazing organisation called Survivors of Bereaved, Survivors of Bereavement by Suicide, SOBS, um, and they're they're a nationwide organisation. So if you just Google SOBS, you'll find your local group where you are. Wonderful. Googling it right now. <laughs> thank you. Lovely, um, Adam. Thank you so much, mate. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. It's been good. I've, it's been good to talk about it and uh, I felt very safe and comfortable talking about it with you too. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Adam.